The opinions expressed on the ACB Media Network are those of the content providers and should not be viewed as an endorsement of any product or service, nor does it reflect the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Good evening, everyone. It is the third Wednesday of the month, and this is when we gather to untangle transportation or to untangle it as much as we can in a 90-minute conversation. And I'm very excited about this one. I'm Ron Brooks. I'm with Accessible Avenue. We are your sponsor, along with uh, ACB and uh, ACB Media. And we're on, so we're on ACB Media. We're on Clubhouse. We're in Zoom. So we have all kinds of uh, opportunities to participate, and hopefully we have all kinds of participation. So this is a really fun topic. And before we jump in, I just want to lay out a, a few of the logistics and ground rules. It's sort of like transportation. You know, when you get on the, the vehicle, they give you all those rules you're supposed to follow. So we are going to start this conversation in just a few minutes uh, with our guest, who I'll introduce in just a couple of minutes. Uh, and we will have a back and forth conversation for about 30 minutes, 35 minutes, something like that. And then we're going to open this up. And we will have the opportunity for each of you who are in the Zoom or in Clubhouse, if you want to come in and ask a question or make a comment, you raise your hand, you'll get called on and, and do that. And we'll take one question or comment at a time. And, and I'll go through this again in a minute. But, but we'll do that about the topic. And then if we have any time left over at the end, we'll open it up for other transportation-related questions, comments, and, and conversations. So um, that's the plan. The one thing that we do ask is if y'all could please stay muted. And I know that we have Herbie uh, as our host and he will uh, help with that as well. And I wanna just start by acknowledging uh, we have a number of people who help us make these calls happen. Uh, tonight, we have Herbie who is, who is serving as your host and bouncer. Uh, we have uh, Nikki who is uh, serving as our ACB media streamer. Thank you so much, Nikki, for doing that. Uh, and we have Mary, uh, I'm sorry, Nancy, not Mary, Nancy over in Clubhouse helping um, with uh, hosting duties in Clubhouse. So uh, really appreciate all of you all giving part of your evening to be with us uh, to talk about transportation. What a way to spend a Wednesday night. So I want to introduce our guest. Uh, the, for this uh, evening's call. Uh, it is She is someone that I've known for a number of years. Uh, our paths have crossed in the, in the worlds of pedestrian accessibility, environmental access, transportation. And I think uh, they've crossed in the area of guide dog stuff as well, because yeah. I think we're both guide dog handlers. Uh, hailing to us all the way, because I'm in Phoenix, so it's really far away, all the way from Charlotte, North Carolina is Becky Davidson. Becky, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me, Ron. Hey, it's awesome. It's awesome. Yeah, it's going to be so much fun. Definitely. Uh, and, and we are, you know, there is a holiday for almost everything in this great country of ours. There's a holiday for peach ice cream. There's a holiday for uh, dirty socks. There's a holiday for baseball. And tomorrow is car-free day. And that's actually a world observance. And it's, a, it's an observance that means a lot here because we have a lot of cars. But Car Free Day was created not by the folks at Hallmark, but by folks in the 
in the pedestrian space, people that advocate for pedestrians. And it was really created as a way to, to, to basically call on all of us to reflect on what, what we can accomplish as a society with less dependence on cars. And as people who are blind or visually impaired, we all know that cars are they're amazing. They get us places that we need to get to, but they're also the bane of our existence. <coughs> they mess up our intersections. They, it's, it's, you know, occasionally they bump into us, um, you know, things happen with cars. And so, so this is a day that I think it's a great day to kind of reflect on what we could, how life could be different at, for us as pedestrians if the pedestrian environment was better and if there weren't so many cars everywhere all the time. And Becky has done a lot of work around pedestrian accessibility and environmental access, which is you know, a close cousin of pedestrian accessibility. She's done a lot of work with uh, accessible pedestrian signals and all sorts of things. So I thought this would be a great time to have her on and talk about how can we get to a more car-free society where the odds are maybe a little bit more even out there in the streets. So Becky, welcome. Thanks. And let's, uh, yeah, let's dive in. So I think a lot of people know you and I provided a real quick introduction, but maybe you can just share a little bit about your background and your family and what you do uh, with your time and, and you know, kind of how it relates to our topic tonight. Okay, well, um, I was born in, in uh, Cleveland, Ohio, and grew up in Waukegan, Illinois, and lived in Pittsburgh and Western New York, and ultimately um, down near New York City. So all different kinds of pedestrian environments. And then retired, uh, well, I moved here to Charlotte um, five years ago, almost exactly. Mm -hmm. um, I had two long-term jobs in my career. Um, I served as a manager of consumer outreach and graduate support at Guiding Eyes for the Blind for 20, 21 years. And prior to that, um, I was an employment and training counselor in Western New York for 24 years. So um, I've kind of had fairly diverse experiences career-wise. Um, I am married. My husband is Ron Davidson. Um, we've been married for nine years now. Um, we both have guide dogs. Um, I've been blind since birth. I had, well, back when I, when I was born, they called it RLF or retrolental fibroplasia. And then they, it became retinopathy of prematurity, which is easier to spell and say. Um, but at any rate, I was in an incubator for a long time. So, um, so my experience is as a blind person, you know, my pretty much entire life, I went to schools for the blind through ninth grade and then went to public high school. Um, I have a, a, a bachelor's degree in history and political science and a master's degree in public administration. Um, so that's, that's kind of my background. I'm, I've been a guide dog user for um, 27 years. Oh my goodness. Um, and, you know, I, I play several folk instruments, guitar and auto harp and lap dulcimer so you know i enjoy that kind of thing concerts and festivals and all of awesome. that kind of thing and, yeah and all those things of course are things that get you <laughs> out and about in your community and 
So pedestrian issues are probably pretty important to you. So absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe you could talk about that. You, you, you have done, in addition to all the professional things you've done, you've, you've been involved in pedestrian accessibility and environmental access for ACB for more than, I mean, certainly more than a decade, probably longer than that, but that since I've known you, you've been involved in this. What, what got you into it? What got you so passionate about these issues that you're willing to, to donate so much of your time uh, to these causes? Well, um, I probably started when I got my first guide dog and then went to work for a guide dog school. And when you have a guide dog, you know, the idea is that you get out and about. Um, those of you on the call who are guide dog users, you know, know what I mean. You, you, your dog needs to work. You need to work with your dog and you want to just be out and about and you want to be safe doing it. Um, so I started to really notice things um, as they evolved. Uh, I mean, when I was a kid living in Waukegan, Illinois, we never thought twice about going out and crossing the street and riding our bikes. And I would follow my friends or I had enough vision that I could see the edge of the sidewalk. Um, we learned to cross streets. Um, when, when I finally got O&M, you know, you learned how to cross streets and, and listen for the surges and, and all of that. And it was pretty straightforward. Intersections were for the most part, you know, four-way, um, easy to figure out. Um, things have evolved dramatically, and as they have evolved, I just felt like I wanted to be involved in trying to find solutions for the problems that we as blind pedestrians face. So I joined the environmental uh, ACB's Environment Access Committee, I, I think you're right, maybe not quite a decade ago, but thereabouts, and then I, I've chaired it for, for several years now. Um, we have a, an environment access committee here in North Carolina as well that is just getting started. Um, and while environment access is more than uh, accessible pedestrian signals, um, it's access to our communities, to the buildings, to um, whatever we want to get to and whatever we want to do in our community. So while we, we focus a lot on APS, Mm -hmm. um, and, and that is a big part of it. Um, it it's a little bit of a broader uh, scope than that. Yeah. So there, there are, we spend a lot of time on untangling transportation. And I would say also within the ACB and other organizations, and certainly yeah, I as a person in the transportation industry, we spend a lot of time talking about things like public transportation and especially paratransit. We talk a lot about paratransit. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, this idea of getting into a vehicle and going from point A to point B. And in some respects, paratransit has, has made, you know, it's transformed lives. It's opened up the world to people who maybe didn't have as much access to it before. On the other hand, it's, it also has some other maybe less desirable outcomes. We, we know that people who used to use public transportation, buses, trains, that sort of thing, and who used to walk are walking less and they are, right. and they're not, they're using paratransit more, which 
in, in some ways it's, it was really good. And in other ways, maybe it's not so healthy. Um, and, and there are a lot of reasons we, we, we have an aging population. So some folks that may be their best option, but we also have a lot of people that probably they're doing it because of a lack of pedestrian accessibility or a lack of confidence to use the pedestrian environment or because cars have become much larger, uh, speeds have gotten much faster and, and cars have also gotten much quieter. From your standpoint, what are two or three significant issues in the pedestrian space that are maybe causing us to, to, to lose access to our communities in a way that's either keeping us home or keeping us essentially trapped in cars or buses? Um, I, the, the whole pedestrian environment thing is, it's kind of pervasive as, as cities expand to suburbs and suburbs are built. The last thing somebody they may be thinking about is sidewalks. So, okay, I want to go to, well, all right, let me, let me use my community as an example. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a, a couple of busy roads and that, that, you know, have stuff on them that I would love to walk to, but there are no sidewalks. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so, okay, what do I do? I can't cross this street. There's not a traffic signal. Um, I could get up to where there is a traffic signal, but there's not a sidewalk. Um, so, so in those instances, um, paratransit or ride share, um, is often the only solution other than if you have a friend who's going that way anyway, or, or, you know, however. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, you know, lack of sidewalks is, um, it's certainly an issue here in Charlotte, um, that we talk about, um, uh, the, the way intersections are, are designed, um, have traditionally been for, you know, for the good of the vehicle. Um, I, I don't think anybody would disagree with that. And to a certain extent, it's understandable, but we're a car centric society and that's why we have tomorrow to celebrate not, uh, no car day. Um, I think, you know, but I think that the lack of, um, accessible pedestrian signals, the lack of access to, to the environment, of safe access to the environment. And while it certainly affects us directly as blind pedestrians, it does affect sighted pedestrians too. And um, especially the lack of sidewalks. Mm-hmm. Um, and But not having access to the same information that sighted people have at intersections is also is also huge because it's really hard to develop confidence in your ability to get around when you're not getting the information that everybody else is getting. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think those are the two, the two big things. APS discussions always end up revolving around um, effective communication. The ADA requires effective communication of information and we don't have that um, at the vast majority of signalized intersections. Mm-hmm. And it used to be that you could depend on the, the traffic surges. When, you're, when the cars beside you went forward, you could go forward. Now we have left turn lanes, right turn lanes, right turn on red, quiet cars, 
drivers not paying attention. And that, you know, that's, that has become really huge too. The fact yep. that there are regulations in place, even with all of the best um, information available, it comes down to, is the driver going to stop at that light? You know, can I assume that they're going to pay attention or they're not distracted? You know, so yeah, I would say the lack of APS, the lack of sidewalks and finding ways to deal with distracted drivers are probably my top three. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's, let's, so let's shift that a little <clears throat> and talk about the, the ACB and the work you're doing with environmental acts. And, and now that committee has been renamed. It's now the Pedestrian, Pedestrian Environment, Environment Access Committee. Thank you. I always we, mess it up. Yeah. We were trying to find something <clears throat> with an E so we could call ourselves peace, but we thought that was a little bit lofty. So we're, <laughs> we're sticking with PEAC. <clears throat> so so let's talk about the priorities of the PEAC, the Pedestrian Environment Access Committee. What, what are some of the things that you all are working on, maybe at the national level, that is significant relative to pedestrian and car safety, uh, and maybe less dependence on cars? I would say um, right now, what, what we're kind of focusing on as a committee um, is finding ways to equip our members and our affiliates and our chapters to advocate for those things they need in their community to elect so that pedestrians are safe. Um, so that's, that's kind of where, you know, where our focus is right now. Um, and um, Chris Bell has done an incredible amount of work. Um, we're updating the pedestrian safety handbook, which is on the ACB website. Um, and part of, well, actually, a couple of members of the Transportation Committee and a couple of members of the PEAC have been working on that. We've just got two articles posted up there that BZ Benson wrote about finding the crosswalk and aligning to cross that, mm -hmm. um, that are really helpful because if you want to find a researcher, that's the one. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I would, say, I would say, as far as our committee is concerned, we are focusing on, we want, we want to see, as I think, most blind pedestrians do, we want to see um, accessible pedestrian signals at every signalized intersection. And we supported um, the New York effort, which was successful um, to get APSs installed in New York City over the next 10 years. Um, there are also efforts taking place litigation-wise in other parts of the country. Um, and litigation is one one way to look at it, especially in in bigger, more urban, or more sprawling areas. But in in small local communities, you know, we need to kind of start right where we live and work with the people who who know how to make the who makes those decisions and mm -hmm. and and get to know them. And and yeah. it's easier in a situation where you're in a small town and, and people know each other anyway. And, and we've been seeing that if you follow some of the list, uh, the, A, the ACB email lists or the, some of the Facebook groups, there are individuals who are sharing, hey, uh, thanks to the work of you know, the, the, uh, the ACB at the national level, I've been able to work with the people in my town to get an audible signal to, for this street or for that mm -hmm. shopping center or whatever. So, so it sounds like it's a really you know, your approach is really to, to equip an army that's at the grassroots level, which is where these kinds of decisions get made. So, right. 
Good show. Um, and congratulations. Um, it, it, we do see that progress. And, you know, it's, it's funny now when I'm out and about and I travel a fair amount, I find I find auto, uh, accessible pedestrian signals in a lot of communities um, and they didn't get there by accident and they didn't get there by by the goodwill of some traffic engineer. They got there through advocacy. Um, mm -hmm. So so let's talk about cars. <clears throat> um, you know, a lot of things that you, you pointed out and, and I shared in the introduction and you pointed out cars are getting bigger. They're getting uh, they're getting quieter and, and they're also getting more autonomous. And curious for your perspective, do you believe that on whole cars are becoming safer for pedestrians or, or less safe? Um, and what do you look, what, where do you think that goes and what do you think helps us get to a higher level of safety? You know, it's, it's kind of, I think there is some intent uh, on, uh, from car makers and for people who, who oversee these things um, to, to focus on pedestrians, but I don't think the focus is really there yet. Um, in terms of, I think they're making them safer for drivers and they're making them, I, I was just visiting a friend who got a new van and it has, I mean, she has so many bells and whistles on that thing that there's so much technology on it. But among other things, there are cameras on it. There's a backup camera where you can mm -hmm. see if there's somebody behind you um, or, you know, some, some of the newer cars will stop before, well, before they hit something, mm -hmm. um, whether it's a pedestrian or, or whatever. Um, and, and to that extent, maybe cars are, are, are safer for pedestrians, but, that's still probably a minority of the cars in the road that, oh, you, sure. that you encounter. So, you know, okay, I'm not going to assume that that car is going to stop for me on its yeah. own. It's going to not going to scream at the driver. Hey, look out, there's a pedestrian. Um, you know, that's just, that's, we can't assume that. And we also can't assume that the driver, um, and I mentioned this earlier that the driver is really paying attention to what they're mm -hmm. doing. Um, you know, so often you'll, if you'll hear um, a report of someone being hit and, and the driver says, Oh, well, I didn't see them. Well, okay. We as pedestrians are told you wear bright colors, do anything you can to make yourself visible. And that makes sense. And runners and bicyclists do the same thing, but you know, if the drivers aren't looking, it, it doesn't do a whole lot of good. Right, um, right. You know, so we as pedestrians, there are some things we can do to make ourselves safer, but we're smaller and slower than the cars. Um, and we just have to, you know, kind of remember that and just be aware. And what's disturbing about that is that that is what can drain people's confidence, um, regardless of, their blind, their visual acuity, or how long they've been visually impaired. Although people who are losing their sight, especially now, people that are aging and losing their sight, those fears are very real. Um, and finding a way to help people build some confidence um, in their ability to travel safely is it really becomes more difficult in that particular stage of, of life. Um, understandably so. Um, yeah. And, 
you know, especially someone who's driven all their life and all of a sudden now they can't drive. Well, I had that car and I knew how to drive that car and I knew what to do. And now all of a sudden I'm on the other side of that car and I don't trust it. I, you know, yeah. so, um, you know, yeah, they so look I, a lot friendlier from the inside. They look, so they yeah. do. They totally do. <laughs> so, so um, just a few more questions, then we're going to start to open it up. But uh, something that came to mind is, is if you were thinking about working with a local chapter or a state affiliate uh, or an individual who's an advocate in their community, what are, what are maybe two or three things you wish that every local chapter, every state affiliate and advocates would do to promote pedestrian accessibility um, in the communities where they live? Um, well, first of all, know what to ask for. Um, do your research, find out what, what exactly you want. Be sure you know exactly what you want and can explain it well. Then find out who, wants, who, who should hear it. Um, is it a local planning organization? Is it a, a traffic engineer, the, tra the highway department? Who is in who is in charge of the roads in your community? Are they, they city? Are they county? Are they state roads? Because that makes a difference. Um, I guess the most important thing to say is be well prepared to talk to whoever you're going to talk to. And you know it's really helpful, especially in bigger areas, if you can form a coalition with other uh, other groups or other organizations in your community. Um, if, you know, if people with kids worry about their kids out being walking around because kids don't pay attention either. I mean, we've got kids that walk up this street that I live on now and they just stroll across this busy highway. All oh, the drivers aren't going to hit me. Um, and, you know, I'm like, oh, my God, please make it across the street. Um, but, you know, know what to ask for. Know what what's out there. Um, I, uh, some of the technical stuff is hard to read. Um, we have people in, on our committee and, and on the transportation committee who, who really get this stuff. They understand the technicalities and they can help you um, explain it mm -hmm. to somebody mm -hmm. who needs to know. Look at the pedestrian safety handbook on the ACB website. Um, read up on it. If you know people in an area that has been successful, talk to them. How'd you do it? Um, but the most important thing really is to find out who the decision makers are and make friends with them, mm -hmm. um, help them understand. And, and, you know, I know a group of us in Westchester did this a couple of times when I lived up there and I know it's been done in other cities. We invited local officials to come. We had an O&M instructor. We actually also did it with a guide dog instructor. Um, and we asked them, okay, We've got a street corner here that has an APS and one that doesn't. Now, would you be willing to put on a blindfold and we will help you cross the street and tell me which which way made you feel better? How did you, and, and we would have a debrief. It was incredibly effective. That's a great, um, and, great idea. Yeah. yeah, it was just incredibly effective. And, you know, you can even start with working with, you know, your local seniors group, um, mm -hmm. any group that, that it shows an interest in, in getting people to walk more. Um, 
walking more is certainly healthier. And we need to have places to walk so we can do that. The get up and get moving campaign that ACB is doing right now is um, is a case in point. We get that. We just have to find a way to facilitate it for people who live in communities that yeah. just are not walkable. Yeah, that's, that's <clears throat> a great point. And, and I, just as an aside, I, I have to say that yesterday, because I'm I'm actually tracking my walking. Uh, I, yesterday, I reached the halfway point between Phoenix and Schaumburg. Now, I won't tell you it took me a year and a half to get to that point, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> I've got a half a year to get the other half, but but it, but that's but that's truth. I mean, Pete, walking is good and it's healthy and it's fun, but it's not fun if it's not safe and it's not healthy if it's not safe either. And and the other thing that you said, I thought we should get traffic engineers. In their, in their training programs and their college programs to do the exercise you just described. Wouldn't that be a really cool way to start out a class on like intersection design? I mean, it's kind of cool. Um, well, you know, so, you yeah. might even want to think about finding a way to incorporate it in driver's ed courses. There, that too. Yeah. Um, yeah, I could go along with all those horrible videos that my kids went through all this where they make you watch the videos of, of, a, of a teenager texting on their phone and then running over 19 people or whatever. You know, it's just horrible. Yeah, they're stuff, horrible. But, yeah, but, you I know, had to they, go through that yeah. in high school, too. Yeah. And even though I was a blind student, I had to go take the classroom <laughs> portion. Oh, how funny. And uh, the, the movie that they showed, I, I think it was called Signal 30 or something mm. like that. And it was just all these horrible car accidents. It's like scared and, straight. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, we're walking. Well, let me just ask you one more question and we're going to open it up. Um, so, so I guess my question is this, where do you see us going as a society? Do you, do you think there's a path that we're on in this space or are we just wandering? I've been kind of hopeful that since... Uh, some of the government agencies are saying, hey, wait a minute, there are way more pedestrian deaths than there used to be. Why is that? And so we have organizations, well, ACB, America Walks. Um, there are some other organizations that are, that are trying to deal with this and, and you know, help people be able to do what's the most natural thing, which is walking. Um, yeah. And I, I think... You know, it's kind of hard to say. We are so wheel centric. We, you know, we don't want to, we want to get there. We want to get there now. We've got want to get there easily. Um, and until we learn to view walking as a, as a viable way of doing that, I think, you know, as long as people can drive, they feel, you know, a driver's license is still a privilege, but most people think of it as a right. Yeah, um, yeah, and as true. long as that attitude exists, it's going to be hard to to break through uh, break through it. Um, there are certainly parts of most communities where <clears throat> there are fewer cars; people maybe not be able to afford them, um, and and those people are not necessarily any safer than than those of us, you know, who live in different types of communities or you know are are blind pedestrians. So. Um, I, I am hopeful that we can kind of break through that and help people understand that, that walking is beneficial in more than just healthy ways. Yep. Saves you a lot of money if you can walk to where you need to go instead of having to take a ride share. 
um, or yeah. even paratransit. And there's always going to be that necessity for, for those things, especially for paratransit, for people who, who live in areas where they can't physically walk from one place to another safely. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I personally would like to see the day where paratransit is not your first option. You can walk there or you can walk to a, a public bus stop and get there. Um, and public yeah. transportation itself becomes accessible if you can get to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, it's funny that you <clears> mentioned <throat> that we have a community here in the Phoenix metropolitan area, um, Tempe, and there is a there are developers who are building a car free community. Um, and I mean, it's kind of funny. It's like, um, well, probably very few, if any of us on this call would ever be able to afford to live in it. It's a very um, upscale, <laughs> uh, it's very kind of niche and cool and all that. But but yeah, there is a belief that if people who are affluent are willing and able to pay for a car-free lifestyle, then clearly it's something that we as a society need to think about how to get to everybody, at least given the right. option. So, so I'm well, interested to see how it goes. And yeah, I am too. And I mean, look at what all the cars do to our environment. Yeah. You yeah. know, I mean, that's a whole other, that's a whole other um, discussion. Yeah. So yeah. Remember how, how clear can, the skies got during the pandemic yeah. when nobody was driving? Well, yeah, nobody yeah, was driving. Yeah, nobody went yeah. anywhere. Yeah. So, well, we're going to um, shift gears and, you know, I, um, I'm glad and, and hope you can stick around with us because we mm -hmm. I'm sure we'll have some good conversations. So, I'm going to remind people, um, we've, you heard the uh, tutorial earlier on how to do raising your hands. Um, so feel free to start raising your hands. Herbie will call on you. My request is if you could please introduce yourself and the city or town that you're in, uh, just so that we have a little context and um, ask your question or make your comment. Um, if you have a question, um, you know, just you know one question, please. Um, and if you have more questions, you know, hopefully we'll have time and we can come back around and you'll get a second chance. But let's do that and let's just see where things go. All right. First up, we have Melody Holloway. All right, Melody. Hello. Thank you, Melody Holloway, Columbus, Ohio. Has there been further progress in educating drivers during driver's ed regarding identification of the guide dog harness, the white cane and their uses? Thank you. I have not heard that there is that's an excellent question and and there needs to be um, but i have not heard that there has been any increase in that at all have you ron well i know it's in the manual because my kids when they went right. to their driver's ed they had to answer those questions so i know it's right. it's in there but you know the question is what happens after that and i and i don't know the answer yeah, it's always been in there. And of course, many states have white cane laws that address that. But there again, they're not at the top of the list of things that that people are being educated about. I, I do think it's an interesting idea, maybe for a state affiliate or a local chapter to maybe do some awareness around uh, white cane safety month, uh, which is October um, or... Um, <clears throat> Yeah, because it's a good question, because I remember we've we've had and we've heard of people who have been struck by cars. And there is a presumption that if you're blind, it was probably your fault. Your fault. Yep. And, yep. you know, regrettable and sad and all that, but you're still injured. And and so I think there is work to be done there. But but I think it's good. It's good grassroots advocacy work, because I think 
if people in a community are looking at you and, and you're in their community with them, you know, that message carries weight. And um, I think, you know, that is, it's a really good suggestion and something we should, you know, as an, as an organization, think about how can we empower members to do that kinds of advocacy in their communities to remind people, Hey, you know, we're out here and these are, this is what the law says. So yep. next question. Area code 407 ending in 275. Sounds like Florida. Orlando, maybe. Mm. What do we got? Who's at 407? Hi, my name is Tarika Walton. Yes, it's Hi. a Florida number, but I'm actually in St. Louis, Missouri. That's what happens nowadays. You can never <laughs> That's assume. Right. That's right. All right, Tarika, what you got? Tarika, you said your so, name is First, I want to say I had no idea where the APS came from. I thought it was from people working at the School for the Blind. So thank you so <laughs> much for uh, I saw one really great one that not only talked really clearly, but it told you which street you were about to cross, and it counted down how long you had to cross it. That was so fantastic. But yeah, those are in the, the area ones. Yeah, it sounded like one of the really new ones. Um, but in the area where I live, I took a walk last Saturday, and there was, like, no sidewalk on half of the street. So mm -hmm. I had to walk on the half that had the sidewalk. The sidewalk was all weird. And in many places, because I was using a, uh, a – I was using Soundscape from Microsoft, and it said – service road instead of the actual name of the road and i'm like well okay mm. what street is this and yeah. then i came to a train track where literally the train tracks were right at the level of the sidewalk there was no indication that there were train tracks none that i could tell anyway because i can't see all that well and i literally could just like walk across the train track and i stopped and i was like uh well i wonder if i'm going to be able to hear this train coming <laughs> i was really skeptical again yeah. uh, um, about walking across the train track so, and so my question is how do how do you not feel intimidated about talking to the people who make the decisions that's my question you know well, what I tell people because yeah. it is, it is really easy to feel a little bit intimidated <clears throat> by them because you feel like they have the authority, but our government and our, and the people we elect to our government, I mean, if if you want to put it in simple terms, they work for us, not the other way around. And so if we can approach them on an equal basis and just remember, hey, this is another person doing a job, and I just want to, <clears throat> you know talk to him about something that's important to me and hopefully it will become important yeah. to them. So, so Tarika, let me add to that because <clears throat> you just did a phenomenal job of telling a story and you had my attention. And one of the things that you might think about, and I think, you know, some of us <clears throat> come, come to this a little bit more gifted than others. Um, and I'm not in the gifted category um, is the use of social media such as make a TikTok video of your journey that you just told the story about, make a, make a Facebook Live, uh, whatever's your pleasure, and post it. with Because those stories are powerful. 
and they mm -hmm. convey in ways you, you may feel intimidated about talking to uh, to a political leader, um, which which you could tell that story in a board meeting and it would be well received. And I've sat through many board meetings. They don't need you to be polished. There's plenty of people that get up and and try to sell you the shoes that you're already wearing. Um, what you just need to do is tell your story and your story is a good one. If you feel intimidated about doing it, go make a video of yourself, you know, just, just living your, living your life and walking your walk and just talk about it as you're going. And that'll be a pretty powerful video mm -hmm. that can be used by uh, many people to, as an, to illustrate some of the challenges that, that we're all facing out there as pedestrians. So, yeah. Telling your story, making yeah. it personal. Yep. Um, and we, we can all find ways to talk about our stories. Yep. It's, it's a lot easier to talk about something you've personally experienced than it is to, to you know, talk about an article you read. Yep. And, you're, and I agree with Ron, you, you told a powerful story. And I think we all have those stories. We have to find them and, and tell them. Yeah. Next, next uh, question. Next hand. There is a hand in Clubhouse, and if you are in Clubhouse and you do wish to speak or ask a question, the request to speak button is in the lower right-hand corner of the phone. Just double-tap that. And thank and we'll you for the reminder, because and... <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> yeah. So we're in Clubhouse yeah, now. Let's take two yeah. comments from Clubhouse, and then we'll come back well, over to the other side. There's one so far. But, okay. Uh, Larry, go ahead and ask your question. Okay, so I don't have a question. Um, I'm Larry Watkinson. I'm in Olympia, Washington. I spent the last eight years working in the Washington Department of Transportation as the ADA compliance manager. I now do ADA consulting work and I work for the Department of Licensing as well. I think one of the things that we sometimes really need to focus in on is how the money flows. It leaves the federal government. Most highway projects are funded in partnership with from the federal government. And I think that the best influence that we have is on the manufacturers of uniform traffic design manual that is used because legislators only act on what is submitted basically from agencies to be adopted as the requirements within their states. And a lot of that comes from the technical folks who write these um, manuals and the design manual that is used in a, in, a, in a state agency flows to a local jurisdiction when it comes time to actually do a construction project where you have federal state money involved with that project as well as local oftentimes it also influences a private person um, who's doing private design but i'm going to tell you the biggest lack of inconsistency that we're dealing with in terms of my belief in public safety is the lack of structured guidance on how um, the whole roundabouts work and for instance every roundabout should be built to have racked plastic beacons they should also be required to be raised sidewalks you do get resistance from the fire departments on some of that but it has been proven that you can actually still navigate them i'm not going to stay here long but it would be interesting to have with you leaders that are talking about this i talked a lot about this in nebraska when i was back there for the conference on the panel yes you did um, and I, and I think we need to pick this conversation up in a different way because the, the, the public outcome that is being talked about here is really critical. That's one piece of it. But you need to dig in and you really need to understand the bowels of the whale before the crap falls out. So I'll just leave it with that 
and uh, go back to you folks, and I'd be happy to have further conversations. But we've got to crack the nut on how these design manuals are being provided through the uh, traffic design manual. So thanks for taking my call. Hey, absolutely. And you know, my only comment is, you know, these calls are really intended as a place for for folks to come, you know, who maybe are not uh, engaged in the business of of advocacy, um, to to really get a basic exposure to the issues that are out there in transportation and accessibility. Um, but however, clearly there are people, and you're one of them. Becky's one of them in this particular space who really, really know this stuff. And you know, we need people like that to really guide the efforts with the national organization and 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 with the state affiliates who are, who have the ability maybe to uh, get involved in some of that that more technical advocacy. And I know Becky that the EA, the PEAC is doing a lot of that kind of work and. Um, I've heard conversations between people like you and and Chris Bell and Gene Lozano, and I usually end up just checking out and going for coffee because I have no idea what you're talking about. But, but <laughs> well, you do, those are the technical guys. That's right. Those but are the you, ones you that know how to. But you not know it, and the regulators know it, and the manufacturers know it, and that's important. And I think that to Larry's point, and I hope Larry's involved with our PEAC. Um, and if he's not, I hope he will be because I think those are the folks that really need to kind of you know, lead those efforts. And then what you all do is, is you figure that stuff out and then you're creating tools uh, that are easy for people like me and others that are out in the community to use as we advocate with our local leaders. So. Yeah. Uh, watch for the podcast uh, from the convention because Larry actually participated in a panel discussion that was held at convention. Um, mm -hmm. That was one of the to mobility and beyond uh, sessions. Awesome. And, uh, Larry was quite, um, informative about about the things that he was talking about. Yeah, no, it sounds great, and I'm already a little bit, you know, uncomfortable thinking about whales and and bowels. Yeah, and I such, know. But, but anyway, that's okay. <laughs> you know, you, you got to get the ugly before you get the pretty. So, okay. So next question, either in Clubhouse or uh, on uh, ACB or on Zoom. We have no Clubhouse hands at this time. Well, the hopefully these next people will not have to wait three days and three nights to be heard. Sue Ellen. Okay. She's um, a Red Sox just... fan. She's used to waiting. That's right. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, this is Sue Ellen. I'm in Louisville, Kentucky. And I think that a lot of this is important about as far as the pedestrian signals as to why people aren't being pedestrians. But I do think part of it, I'm wondering if you all think part of it may also be impacted by the higher instance of crime in the streets and the lower instance of available police to keep us safe in the streets is contributing to people staying in their cars or staying in their paratransit. So Becky, I'd be interested in your thoughts and then I have some thoughts. Um, what do you think? Um, I, I think that may be the case in, in some, some areas. Um, but I mean, that those issues impact the whole community. Um, and, you know, I, 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 I do think it is something um, that we, we think about um, and how, you know, part of being safe on the streets is, is, is being safe from, um, I mean, you hear the kind of things that happen in New York City 
um, on the streets. And, you know, of course there, well, if the subway isn't any better, so how do we deal with this? Um, but I, I, I do think, I think that's a really good question. And I think it's something that, that needs to be thought through as well. So it's interesting. Um, we, we, um, the, you know, this issue comes up and I, I work in transportation and this issue comes up. It comes up a lot around light rail where you have a community and, and we had an example of this here in Phoenix where I live. Uh, the agency opened a light rail, uh, a new, a brand new light rail line that extended an existing line into a, into a community that was, that had, has quite a bit of poverty um, and has a reputation for crime. And immediately the, the opponents of light rail pointed to the fact that in the light rail corridor, so around the stations and around the stops, there was a, and it was a ridiculously high number, like 70% increase in crime along the corridor as soon as the light rail opened. And it became an argument for, fun, for, for defunding light rail and you know, this kind of stuff. And when the, when the researchers dug a little deeper, what they found is that the crime in the community didn't change a bit. If you looked at the community as a whole, what happened is all the criminals, if you will, moved toward the light rail because you know there were there were reasons, you know, they speculated. But the issue wasn't that crime got worse. The issue was that crime got focused. And and you know, good community policing, that yeah, there are ways to solve for that. So part of it is perception, part of it is what gets reported. And in an overall sense, with some exceptions, I think Chicago would be considered an exception this year. They've had a, it's been a it's been a rough year, uh, and recessions. By the way, typically crime crime goes up during recessions, and we're we're in something mm-hmm. right now. I'm not sure if we're calling it that or calling it something else, but but overall, crime in general, I don't I don't know that there's evidence, that, and I and I haven't heard that crime on the whole is really up. I think what is up is reporting of crime. So the perception is that our streets are unsafe and that that it's dangerous to be out. I'm not sure that the data actually is there to support that. And I'm at least not in every community. I think the bigger issue, and 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 there, and I believe there's actually probably some data for this, although I, I don't know it. When you have more people who are pedestrians, you you reduce the, the, the feelings of unsafety that people feel when they're out in a deserted area walking, for example. If you have more pedestrians, if you have more people out and about in their community, if you have police officers on horseback rather than you, you know uh, hiding in a car in a parking lot, uh, you, you have a better feel in the neighborhood and, and crime is less likely uh, to perpetuate. So I don't know if, I don't know. I mean, I think it's a worthwhile question to ask, but I think it's a complicated question. Uh, The one thing is for certain, whether or not there's crime or not crime, we know that we, we don't know what the impact of crime is on our ability to use or not use public sidewalks and, and to be pedestrians. But we do know that a lack of accessibility stops us from being pedestrians. That's a fact. That's right. So you solve the problem you do know. And because that's a real thing that you can solve. And then the other one, you just, you know, that, that, that one I think needs more, probably needs a little bit more work. I think that needs more direct community involvement 
um, because it affects the whole community. Yeah. So, you know, the accessibility issue ultimately does too, but basically it affects a specific group that needs a specific accommodation. Um, um, and finding ways to reduce crime and make help people feel safer walking around the community affects everybody in the community. Absolutely. And although you did point it out in your conversation, you said that having a more accessible community benefits everybody. And I agree, if you think about curb cuts for uh, for, for mothers with strollers or parents with strollers, or if you think about um, having uh, uh, access, accessible pedestrian signals with countdowns, you know, everybody benefits from that technology. It's not just something that benefits a handful. So next question. Next, we go over to Travis Seidler. Okay. Hey, everybody. There we go. Hey, Travis. Hey, it's Travis Sittler from Templeton, California. So I don't have a question necessarily, but I do want to talk about the situation that happened in my college years going to my local community college. Um, so this is back in the time when we had the front bus stop. And um, I had to cross you a couple of streets to get there to the main parts of the campus you know, where, where the parking lots are. So you had to stay in the white lines, obviously, for those, you know, if you know what I'm talking about. Yes. Anyway, um, luckily, you know, I know how to pay attention, you know, by listening and stopping and all. So, which I did that. But there's been a couple of instances where I'm still across the street and I know I'm okay, but the car, an ignorant driver chooses to just go through and just like in front of you, it's just like, he doesn't want to wait. Yeah. He or she doesn't want to mm-hmm. wait. It's like, I mean, mm-hmm. come on. Have, have you heard about those encounters? I mean, Oh yeah. That's oh, they that was a problem. The time. Quite a few they, times. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, they, and I think that goes to education. Uh, it goes to yeah. driver education and some of the things that we talked about earlier. I, I, I mean, the funny thing is you said, have you heard about it? I'm thinking you mean today or yesterday? I mean, <laughs> yeah. you know, if you just cross the street, you're probably going to get cut off by, by a car at some point within the next week. I mean, it's going to happen. And well, that's an education issue, I think. Well, and here's the thing. Um, and then the, here's the other thing that got worse over the years that um, the, the uh, streets were totally like redone the areas I crossed to make it totally flat, no curves, you know, to make it flat for wheelchairs. Mm-hmm. Now that became a bigger problem when they did the blended curves because um, when they had the wheelchair ramps and the raised curbs before, uh, I knew what wheelchair ramp to cross that when I'm going back to the bus stop. Unfortunately, that did not yeah. make it easy because yeah. I had to try to count steps, but as a result, that resulted in numerous complaints like, you know, this bus stop is a bad location. This gets a total F. We need to have this move to the back. And sure enough, the petition was circulated. And when I started back a year later, I checked the right alert section and found out hip hip hooray. Hey, all right. So so you bring up you bring up a good point, Travis, and then we'll go on to the next person. But I want to I want to just kind of talk about one thing you said. Um, you you mentioned the fact that sometimes you know, people in the community, all of whom are pedestrians, uh, including mm-hmm. people who use mobility devices, um, yeah, y- you know, um, you, they're all pedestrians. And sometimes, and Becky, I'd like you to comment on this, and then Herbie, we can go to the next person after Becky's done. Um, what do you uh, what do you think, Becky, about the fact that sometimes there's a perception or maybe a reality that 
folks who are using mobility devices may have different needs than we do. And how do you how do you think what's the best way from your standpoint to balance those? Because we both need pedestrian accessibility and we don't need to be fighting with each other. Are there ways for us to come together on stuff like that so that we can not have those kinds of issues which which keep progress from happening? I think there are. I think I think we've seen it that there there are ways that sometimes fairly creative ways that um, that we can come together and create something that works for everybody. Um, sometimes, you know, the wheelchair, the warning strips might be difficult for a wheelchair to navigate or to negotiate. So you find a different type of a warning so that mm-hmm. the blind pedestrian who's depending on feeling that with their feet um, can still feel that the difference, but the person with the mobility device can also use it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's a matter of, of ramps having to be a certain width or, you know, that kind of thing. And um, making sure that they are so that it, it accommodates everybody. Um, yeah. And I think what really, what really, what we really need to do is, have a conversation. I think we may assume they need something and they may assume we need something, but we've never actually talked about it. Well, that's what we need to do is talk about it because then we come up with solutions. And and in your experience, Becky, do you think that there is a a, a typical forum for how that gets done in in the average city or, or say middle size to large city uh, here in America? Is there a forum for that? I mean, you know, I'm sitting here thinking, well, I don't know if we have a pedestrian accessibility committee in Phoenix. I doubt it. Uh, it might be under the Mayor's Commission on Disability, but I've never heard them talk about it. Mm-hmm. Where do you think those conversations, how do we make those conversations uh, happen? And, and, and what kind of infrastructure do we need to advocate for to make that happen? Well, I think the disability planning groups, like you mentioned, um, is, is probably the best place to start. Mm-hmm. Um, I think paratransit systems, at least I knew I, in New York, because I served on it for like 20 years, I had a transportation advisory committee. And of course, we didn't necessarily talk about pedestrian safety other than when we talked about how we can't get to the bus stops to use the buses because they're not, there's no sidewalks mm-hmm. and so on. Um, but those committees included people in, in, with sure. mobility devices as well. Yeah. Um, and I think that those kinds of groups um, are where you start because they have they need to include all you know they need to include pretty much as as many different types of issues as they can. Yep, got it. <clears throat> uh, Herbie or Nancy, who do we have? Do we have anybody in Clubhouse? We do not. Okay, Herbie, anybody on Zoom? We do, but I did think I saw a raised hand in Clubhouse, Nancy. So uh, just a suggestion, you might want to refresh your screen because I think I do see a raised hand over there. And just to let you know, Ron, it is the top of the hour. So you have 30 minutes left. Okay. And your next question will come from Sheila Styron. Hey, Sheila. Another Hey, guys. Good job. I want to hop in on uh, a topic a little a little bit ago. Um, we had the woman who asked the question about 
traveling as a pedestrian, the safety. Mm-hmm. And this is something that, that I think about a lot and I deal with a lot in my work advising people at a center for independent living. Um, I work in an area, Midtown, Kansas City, where there is a lot of homelessness, a lot of drug use, a lot of things that would scare a lot of people. And I once had an experience where, and I've been, I've been traveling in this area for nearly 13 years and nothing bad has ever happened to me. Um, it may not sound attractive or appealing, but really, I, I sort of feel like a lot of these people are my friends. They look out for me. I'm nice to them. They're nice to me. Um, they ask me questions. I ask them questions. If someone says hi to me, I say hi to them. I just really think that the fear of crime or harm is is totally over, over overrated, over-concentrated on. Um, we need to be the ambassadors. We need to, before we can have great groups of pedestrians <clears throat> crossing streets together, um, somebody needs to take the lead. Somebody needs to, to show people that it's really not that scary. It's not that bad. We have to, you know, what are you going to do? Stay at home? You know, I, I advise people all the time who want to move to Kansas City, where should I live? And I tell them that they should live where there are buses. And where there are buses, unless you live in a great area with a whole bunch of buses, it's usually where there are sketchier populations. And these people aren't out to get you. They are not out to get you. They're just disadvantaged people down on their luck. And it's it's really not it's not that terrible. I was once doing a um, uh, a, a video, a video, a, a production for our local PBS station, and a producer met me at my house to walk with me to the bus, and it was really cold. It was like one of those five degree days, and we walked to the corner, and the, and it was really cold, and a bus actually passed us, mm. and he was like. And he was he was British. He was like, oh my God, should we call an Uber? And I was like, oh, I don't. you know, and I thought, well, yeah, maybe we can't stand here in the cold. But I guess somebody on the bus got the driver to go around the block and come back right. and get us. And we got on the bus and I looked at the bus driver and I kind of whispered because there's this guy with a camera behind me. And I sort of whispered, boy, you picked a really bad day to pass me. <laughs> and they got on the bus and there was a guy on the bus who was talking to himself. And, you know, later I was talking to the he was, he was just really kind of freaked out by, by some of this. And yeah. but the guy was harmless. He was harmless, you know? And, and so he asked me, <clears throat> are there often people who talk to themselves? And I said, you know, sometimes there are, but they're not, going to hurt me they're not out to hurt me and you know what it's just a slice of life and yeah. he ended up calling the whole video series slice of life That's so great. i don't know i do not know if that story helps anybody or if people are just going oh god i couldn't do that i don't want to do that but i mean what are you going to do stay home you know yeah. i love walking i love taking the bus i love not waiting for paratransit yeah. rides to show up 
I'm done. Well, thank, thanks you guys for are sharing doing it. a great job. So no, I appreciate you. that. Appreciate that. It's a great story. And, um, I, you know, and I, I love it. Slice of life. And, you know, you bring up a good point. Um, I think, so, I think some of us have actually gotten so used to being home that it's actually gotten harder. And Becky, I don't know if you've experienced this, but it's actually gotten harder. So it's like you have to relearn to get out and be about in society because we spent two years not going anywhere. Uh, so it's really yeah. interesting right now. And that's uh, <laughs> yeah. a good point. So, um, okay, before we go to our next guest, I just want to take a quick minute. We have about a half an hour left or a little less. Um, just to, to let you know, because I because I always do it at the end and I never have time. So real quick, uh, Accessible Avenue is the sponsor. We do uh, advice uh, and training and consulting to the transportation industry uh, to try to make transportation better. Um, and the, the focus for me personally is to make it equitable so that transportation for those of us who have disabilities takes the same amount of effort, the same amount of planning, the same amount of time, and the same amount of money as it does for other people. That would be an amazing thing to get to, and we have a lot of work to do. Uh, we also provide um, assistance to organizations and individuals. If you have transportation challenges, uh, you know, we, we're certainly happy to, to engage with you and try to help solve them. One of the ways we do that, of course, is are these calls. Um, so, so you can check out our website. We have some free resources there, including some standardized forms for commenting on public transit services in such a way that hopefully they will listen and hear you and respond. Uh, we have some uh, guidance on, on creating effective service animal policies. That was just a personal issue since I have a guide dog and I must have been ah, denied, yes. denied a few times that week. So oh, yeah. anyway, so, but, uh, so we're out there in the world doing those things. So check us out at accessibleavenue.net. Uh, if you want to get our announcements, you can, you can tell us that. And um, we've got an online form. You can, you can ask to, to be connected to us and we'll do that. Um, so that's who we are. Let me now go back into uh, or back to Herbie and, uh, see if we have other people with their hands raised. Did we want to check on Clubhouse first? Yes. Uh, oh, oh, yes, that's right. You had oh. somebody that you had found. And it's yep, Nancy and Clubhouse, just so you don't forget. Yeah. <laughs> it's helping you out over there. So. Yeah. That's okay. Um, yeah, Kim. You may unmute. Or is that... Yep, Kim, you're still muted. And while she's getting unmuted, I just want y'all to know this is our first time in Clubhouse, so this is new for me as a as a um, mm -hmm. uh, as a call facilitator. So my apologies, and I'm glad that we lower have right hand corner of your phone, um, Kim, if you are trying to find the mute button. Okay, she's still muted, so. Should we see what her Herbie's got and then come yeah, back? Yeah, let's go back over and then I promise next. And interrupt me if I forget. Herbie, who's, who do we have next? <laughs> One next of us will remember. <laughs> next we have Kitty. Kitty. I bet Hi. I know who that is. Yeah, I know who that I is. I bet you do too. <laughs> I do. Hi there. Hi. Uh, this is Kitty from Cincinnati. Mm -hmm. And um, just wanted to comment on two things. First, I think Sue Ellen must be sending her criminal element from Louisville to Cincinnati. <laughs> so we're going to send it back down the river. But, um, I, you know, I, um, I still do travel. Um, 
although I think that with the pandemic and not have not having done it as much for a couple years, um, things have changed. And um, while I feel okay with most of the intersections I've dealt with and the criminal element, I mean, I was I was pickpocketed several years ago when I lived in Boston. Um, so it showed me that, you know, unlike most facets of society, criminals don't discriminate against people with disabilities. Um, but the thing that bothers me is the the um, the um, mass shootings. I mean, I you know hearing on the news just on a daily basis almost of pedestrians, you know, people getting shot, whether it be in a grocery store, um, a church, road rage, certainly. Um, while I might have been comfortable walking in some uh, criminal elements and things the the whole deal with mass shootings is is kind of a yeah it's just yeah it makes me feel like yeah i have no control right i mean you know and i guess nobody has control um but you know thinking of myself and my dog i mean if anything would happen to my dog i would just be devastated yeah yeah and, I, and i'm and, sure you're not alone in that um, no no you know no. so that's yeah. that's one thing that that comes out on that element and then as far far as environmental access um i think another area that needs some attention is for those of us that live in wintry environments um making sure that the um, the street crossings are accessible. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. here it's common to remove the snow from the street and we put it all up on the sidewalks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great <laughs> I point. I was just talking to a city official about that very issue yep. earlier today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's no, a great point. It is no a good questions, point. more comments. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, the first one, obviously, it's a heavy topic, and there's no answer for it. I mean, transportation and, and pedestrians and sidewalks, you know, any place in America that people can go, they they can go, and, and that's the good people and the bad people. And, you know, what I would say is, we've, you know, we've had two people now raise the issue of safety, and really three. I mean, Sheila talked about it, and, you know, Sheila took a, a little bit more of a nonplussed kind of you know, approach to it, but it's still, it is an issue. And and I think any of us who have been out and about in pedestrian spaces, you know, you're going to experience all that society has to offer. And some of it's not, not the greatest. And I, th- I think there is a, a, enough of a conversation here to say that maybe one of the things that we as an organization, uh, ACB, um, maybe through the environment, the PEAC or, or some other group, yeah, maybe part of what we talk about is strategies for being safe in public places, you know, mm-hmm. because it's not something that is intu- maybe not intuitive. I mean, it's easy if you can see an, a, a police officer um, 
but it's not so easy if you have no idea where the police officer is or if there's no one around you know and and knowing you know do you choose the 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 well-lit street that has a lot of people and maybe it's a little bit more challenging from a from a safety standpoint because of cars or because of of uh, you know people turning and driveways and such or do you pick the quiet street where there's nobody and maybe it's not so well lit and maybe it's not so safe so i mean you know helping people kind of think about as they plan their pedestrian activities you know how do you plan to be safe you know how do, what do you do what do you wear what do you take with you um yeah that might be something for us to think about as part of our effort to encourage pedestrian uh, pedestrian lifestyle is to encourage pedestrian safety um so yeah, it's just something we can take that back schools. Yeah, yeah the guide dog schools um some of them at least i know mm -hmm. discuss that call they call it different things like street smarts or or mm -hmm. whatever but you know you're right i mean there are things that that we can do to make ourselves visible uh, in terms of traffic but mm -hmm. you know yeah how do you decide what route to take somewhere how do you ensure that you have the best directions you can get you didn't have somebody just say oh it's three blocks that way okay that's <laughs> not helpful um how do you know do you have the best do you know how to get help if you need it can, can you make yourself aware if you have to call for help of exactly where you are and what's around you um, yep. and that can take quite a bit of effort um mm. you know in planning and that kind of thing but yep. i i agree i think that that's something that you know i think maybe even um local chapters could talk about that with the emphasis on their own communities and what they're dealing with there because mm. they're not all the same. Yep. Yep. So, excellent comment. Very, very. And of course the snow, I mean, I lived in Chicago oh, yeah. before we moved here. There's a reason why we live in Phoenix. It's called snow. <laughs> the reason um, why we live in Charlotte too. Yeah, yeah. that's right. That's so we understand cool. about those sidewalks and those mountains. We totally you know, do. This, yeah. So we got you. Mountain so, climbing at intersections. Yeah. So back to Nancy and clubhouse. Is there any, do we have uh, Kim unmuted or anybody else in clubhouse? Uh, that was Kim. And right now there is no one else. Okay. Uh, okay, Herbie, back to you over on Zoom. Anybody? All right, then. Next, we have Meryl Schechter. Hey, Meryl. Hi, Becky, hey, Meryl. Ron, Herbie. Um, there is an organization that I heard about years ago from Pat Sheehan um, in Maryland, and it's a national organization called America Walks. And oh, yeah. Basically... Mm -hmm. I was just looking at their website, americawalks.org, and they provide technical assistance, and they want to make sure that the spaces they create for walking are, and they use the word safe, and accessible. So I'm wondering, Ron, whether Accessible Avenue has done any work with America Walks. We have ACB not, but has. Becky has done okay. a ton. So oh, Becky, absolutely. why don't you? Oh. Yeah. Yes, oh. we've had America Walks uh, presentations a couple of years ago i think it was the rochester convention there oh, was this big okay. gap of like a couple of years and now, now i'm confused right. about when stuff happens yeah. but yeah they have some great webinars too that are free and if you go on their website you can mm -hmm. get on their mailing list and, and attend them and mm -hmm. actually claire stanley mm -hmm. who worked for acb and now works for national ndrn is that the one yeah, NDRN, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. 
is on the board of America Walks, oh. so that we can make sure that our our concerns um, are being addressed as well as you know as as ever others are. So oh, awesome. yes, there's a connection between ACB and America Walks, and um, sometimes their focus seems a little bit different than ours, and we have mm -hmm. to remind them <laughs> we're um, here, <laughs> we're here. Um, but they're they are a great organization, and I I think. Um, I think the more of us that become involved with them um, on our local levels, the the better that working relationship will become. Thank you. And you know, where I live, um, I'm in Baltimore County in Winter Mill. And where I live, the bus, I learned with a mobility instructor how to walk to the bus stop, but the bus only runs once an hour. And then you have to take it to another bus and then you have to take it to the metro or subway and so I, i'm retired now but when i was working i could never get to do anything and i can't even do anything now with that typo so i have to yeah, use a, paratransit yeah yeah it's a lot of yeah. a lot of transfer a lot of that. That. Yeah. yeah yeah thank you so much mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. all right okay mm -hmm. uh herbie or nancy We never got Kim unmuted, did we? No, I think no, I not thought, yet. Uh, well, I raised. Okay, let me try this again. Sorry, guys. That's okay. Well, um, while we're waiting on Kim to see if we can get her sorted out, I guess we'll just continue on with the Zoom side, as uh, we now have a couple of repeat hands, and we'll start. Actually, right now we're going to go in the order unless somebody new raises their hand that we had earlier. So, Melody, start us off with round two. I thank you so much for letting me speak again. I was wondering if ACB Advocacy Steering, Accessible Avenue, PEAC, and DRNA, what has done anything with collaborating different groups of people with disabilities to cover people with visual impairments who also have anything in addition who use wheelchairs, walkers, sensory processing disorders, hearing impairments, cognitive issues, anything. And I do fall under a lot of these categories mm -hmm. who need pedestrian safety or even paratransit, which can be our best bet sometimes. And getting transportation services and lawmakers to understand our relatively rare population because a lot of us are just in the dust and even people with medical ports and life-saving equipment that we have so it's kind of hard to get understood why yep. we have yep. more than blindness mm -hmm. need a lift and things like that yep gotcha so um i'll speak just for a second because because i think you know with accessible avenue and, and you know just to clarify we're a you know our role is more of as a as a our primary business is consulting and training with the industry so we're working with transit agencies, uh, mobility service providers like T, you know, like transportation network companies, uh, people like that, consultants in the industry, and we don't we don't focus specifically on blindness issues. Our focus is really broader than that. It's disability in general, and anytime you're working on disability, yeah, when you're when you're working on making transportation and mobility accessible for people with disabilities, you're dealing with people that are in the intersections of different disabilities, different cultural groups, different um, different groups in terms of ethnicity, people that have limited English uh, proficiency. So, you know, we're dealing with those issues just because we don't separate the community into buckets. 
we just have one big bucket, which is we need to make our services accessible for everybody that needs them. Um, and that picks up blind people, uh, people that are deaf or hard of hearing, people, you know, people that are deaf blind, people in wheelchairs, people that have multiple disabilities, whatever. So I think, you know, it's not, we don't set out to work with multiple groups. We just do because they're all part of the same community. So uh, Becky, did you want to comment from the ACB side? Well, from the ACB side, I know in terms of um, APSs, we want to ensure that the information that you get from an APS is tactile as well as audible. And that's why we don't call them audible pedestrian signals. We call them accessible pedestrian signals so mm -hmm. that people who need the, the tactile part of that are included. I don't, maybe you know, Melody, or are already involved, but there is a group that has a community call and I don't, I'm not sure what, what I'm sure Cindy or somebody could tell you that is a group that of people who have multiple additional disabilities um, to as well as blindness. And they, they meet on a fairly regular basis on a community call. Um, you might want to check that out if you haven't already. It's yeah, called blindness and more. And it's kind of that hour right. is really neat. Yeah. And then you get off and it's kind of what I do now. <laughs> yeah. Good. Yeah. Th well, thank you for the question because it yeah, is important. We're, it, it, we're a very diverse community and, and um, we need to remember that as we advocate, mm -hmm. it's not about one size fits all. Um, right. Okay. And Nancy just saying that we have yep. about eight minutes left. Perfect. We'll take, we'll take at least one more and we'll see how we go. Um, so anybody Kim in, is, yep. Oh, I'm sorry. You got, Kim? I did, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. We got Kim okay. and she can be Yay. able to speak again. All Kim. right. You're still muted. So Kim, the I know you know how to mute on Clubhouse, the bottom right button. Yeah. Um. Shoot. I'm sorry. Kim, calling Kim. <laughs> I guess There's nothing we can do, unfortunately. Okay. So. No. All right. Well, let's take one more before we wrap up. All right, Tarika. Our storyteller. That's right. Hey. So I know a lot has been mentioned about safety uh, with right-hand turns and criminal elements and such. I've actually uh, experienced the same thing Sheila has where I've been on a train with people who talk to themselves. And they, I've actually talked to them. They talk regular sometimes. And then when they're off to themselves, they talk to themselves and, you know, they're just like everybody else, you know, just living their lives, going their way on this, on transit. But my question is, <clears throat> do you work with indoor environments as well as outdoor environments? Because I've heard a lot of conversation about the outdoor environment, mm -hmm. but do you also work with organizations inside their buildings and making sure that their buildings are accessible. Becky, do you want to go first? And then I want to talk about wayfinding, but why don't you go talk about it from um, an environmental access standpoint? It has not been um, as much a focus as long as I've been on the, on the uh, PEAC. Um, it's, it's a legitimate concern. 
Um, I think the reason is that often that is, those are privately owned businesses and they're governed under different codes. Um, but it's certainly, you know, something that um, people should advocate for. for. I mean, we all know um, about businesses, you know, having to make them, themselves, their, their buildings wheelchair accessible. Um, and, you know, to the extent that they need to be made blindness accessible, that's part of the same thing. It's a reasonable accommodation. Um, but I think Ron's going to talk about wayfinding. There's some really interesting wayfinding apps out yep. there now mm-hmm. uh, through it, through uh, what used to be Nearby Explorer. Um, they've, they are, Mike May and his group are doing uh, some incredible work with indoor wayfinding right now. Yeah, there, there, um, there's a lot. Um, and, and actually Accessible Avenue, this is an area where we are working um, um, uh, quite a bit, uh, both in, the, both in the, the transit space with public agencies <laughs> that are interested uh, but also working with some of the private companies to develop technology. And um, and we will host an untangling transportation call around wayfinding in the future. It's not on the calendar yet, but it's on the, the short list of topics because there's a lot of work being done on the technology side. And, and most of these technologies are, they're app-based and and they they work differently. So they have different technology that that they're using to, label the indoor spaces because you can't use GPS indoors. It doesn't work. So you have to use some sort of a mapping technology or a technology like beacons or, or something like that. And there are a handful of companies and it's a pretty big handful and the handful gets bigger every day mm-hmm. of companies doing this work. Bigger. Yeah, there's mm-hmm. new technology. There's both in terms of the, uh, the, the technology that is used to label things in indoor spaces and also the technology that's used to deliver uh, the messages, which has to do with how far it can be transmitted and how accurate it is. So lots to talk about there, everything from beacons and QR codes to, to neural, to neural map, uh, I mean, neuro network mapping and all sorts of imagery technology. It's fun stuff, very nerdy and geeky and fun. So we'll do that on a future call. Um, and also, and, uh, um, Ira or be my yep, eyes Ira's another, can be that's real, another be yep. my eyes too can be really yep. helpful if you go mm-hmm. into a building and everything's print and you can't figure out where the heck you are or how to get yep. where you're supposed to go. Yeah, so we'll do a whole <laughs> we'll do a, a whole shebang on uh, that topic because it's a really good topic. So, um, and that really takes us to the point where I probably need to to wrap up because what we want to do is again, uh, just give you our contact information and tell you about next month's call, which is gonna be um, a barn burner uh, to be certain. So uh, you can find out more about Accessible Avenue at accessibleavenue.net. Uh, you can, uh, I know Becky, you're on Facebook a lot and so am I. So you can find us on Facebook, I'm on LinkedIn. You know, feel free to, to hit us up, um, I'm sure. You know, these are all topics that we live, breathe, and care about. So um, so let me tell you now about next month's, this call next month is on October 19th. And we are going to, we're going to open it up. We're going to talk about on-demand paratransit. And the, this has come up a few times, but what we're going to do is we're going to talk about it 
in two ways. And we're going to have two guests. First time I've ever tried to manage two guests. I can't even manage <laughs> Clubhouse and Zoom on the same call. I don't know how this is going to go. It could get a little weird. Uh, but we're going to have two guests. We're going to have David Kingsbury, who is a member of our Massachusetts, uh, the Bay State Council affiliate. I think he's the affiliate president, actually. Um, he is going to be a guest and he's going to talk about on-demand paratransit, the way they do it in Boston. Uh, it's a program called RideFlex. And we're going to have a consultant from the transportation industry, uh, somebody that I know and work with, who has just finished a project for the Transportation Research Board, looking at 18 different on-demand paratransit projects from around the country. Uh, and when I say on-demand, I mean not calling the next day and waiting for a 30-minute pickup window. On-demand means that you call one or two hours in advance and, and you get a ride that goes straight to where you want to get to. So, so she's done a study, federally funded study of about 18 agencies that offer those types of services to try to figure out how they're structured, what works and why. And we're going to have both of them on to talk about this topic of on-demand paratransit. So that's October 19th, uh, which is a Wednesday night. It's at nine o'clock Eastern, uh, same format as this call. And you are all welcome. If you would like to get our call announcements and other uh, paraphernalia that we send out from time to time, send an email to connect at accessibleavenue.net. That's connect at accessibleavenue is all one word dot net. And we'd be happy to add you to our list. Becky, thank you. Appreciate thank you, you being it was here. Fun. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was a lot of fun. Herbie, thank you. Nancy, thank you. Um, Nikki over there uh, on ACB Media, thank you for streaming. And everybody out in the audience, whether you're on Zoom and Clubhouse or on ACB Media, thank you for joining us. Uh, we will wrap up our call and see you next month.